Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an NQT, with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our experiences, both good and bad, of life as an NQT. I'll be talking to those new to teaching as well as those who've spent a lifetime educating children. And one thing you can be sure of, they'll all have something interesting and informative to say on the art of being a great teacher. Plus, they will reveal the one thing they wish they knew as an NQT that made a real difference to their teaching and might make a real difference for you too. Today, I'm talking to Giovanna Ferreira. Giovanna has literally travelled the world in her teaching career, from the southern to the northern hemisphere, no less. She qualified in South Africa in 2015, then came to the UK in 2017 to get her first full-time teaching job. She only intended to stay for six months, but she so enjoyed teaching in London that she did the assessment-only route to gain QTS, and she is now in her second school and making quite an impact there. Not content with just doing her immensely demanding teaching role, she also runs her own YouTube story channel, which she started during lockdown. Having always been a great lover of class story time, and having received so many compliments on her enthusiastic expressive reading, including from me, I might add, when I was in her class, she decided to film stories and upload them for the children to watch while they were stuck at home. With screen time constantly increasing, she wanted to ensure it was beneficial screen time, rich in language and learning opportunities. So she now uploads story videos once a week. Giovanna, I so hope my introduction has passed your enthusiasm and expression test. Thank you for talking to me today. It most definitely did. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. I love talking about teaching and I loved your expression. So thank you so much. Oh, you've already <laughs> outdone me, though. Your expression is already on another plane to mine. But uh, I must add, I am known to talk really quickly. So if I do, just please tell me to slow down. When I first came to the UK, everyone used to tell me I was talking too fast and my accent made it even harder to understand. So I hope it's all OK. It'll be fantastic, I'm sure. I'm already excited just hearing you talking so quickly and so excitedly about uh, what we're going to be talking about now. Well, I think we've got to start in South Africa, haven't we? Whereabouts did you live? What was life like? So I lived in Johannesburg. So I was born and raised in Johannesburg. So I spent my first 24 years of life living there. Um, it is a beautiful country, South Africa. The best weather. It's got amazing sights to see. I really did enjoy living there. I mean, obviously, it will always be home because of my family and everyone I know there. The lifestyle is very different to London. So um, that was quite a change coming there. But growing up, it was amazing. I had a great childhood. Um, it's not like what everyone thinks. I don't ride on an elephant to school or have a lion in my back garden. <laughs> but um, it really is an amazing country. And I do think that I had a really good upbringing. You're in South Africa, Johannesburg. What inspired you to study education at university? The answer is so simple. It was just children. So I come from a really big family, about 32 of us first cousins. So there were always little ones around and I would choose to chat to the cousins and then I'd spend most of my time playing with the little toddlers and singing and being in the garden. I just loved being around children. I just felt so happy and so at ease. And I thought to myself, if I could be in a career that just had 
playing with children, not only obviously playing, but being around children, it would be such a happy life. And that was definitely the first step into my desire to be a teacher. So I went to the university called Witwatersrand. It's in Johannesburg. It's a four-year course for a Bachelor of Education. And um, it was a brilliant course. There was one lecturer that was absolutely amazing. She was the early years lecturer. Her name was Kerry Lee Schneider because I have to mention her name because she was that amazing and she really inspired me. Um, so I, What's it about her then that inspired you? Oh, her energy about teaching young children. Her ideas were so hands-on and so practical. You know those lectures that you sit in and you can't even write enough because she was really that good? Um, I re- yeah, her lectures really stood out for me. But the really good thing about that four-year degree was that straight away from first year, we would go and do teaching prax, practicals. And a lot of people actually dropped out. They realized it wasn't for them. But you get to learn so much from being in the classroom. You've got to love it, haven't you? Exactly. Because I used to be a computer programmer and, and, a, and a bloke said to me when I said I'm off to do education, he said, what, you can't hack it in the real world. And I said, you wouldn't survive five minutes, mate, in a classroom. They'd eat so you alive. No, I do think it's more of a calling. It's It can't just be, oh, I didn't make it through to get you this degree or I'm just going to try teaching. I think it has to be something that you call to do, a sort of vocation. Um, yeah, you've got to love it for sure. I, I've been watching trainee teachers teach in the last month a great deal, a couple of people a day, and uh, fascinating, of course, to watch them. And they're all so passionate about it. And they said, we can't believe how hard it is. And we're exhausted. And, oh, there are times when you despair. But it's great. And and the way the children respond is just wonderful. I was interested when you said about playing with children, because my daughter had a reception teacher who was wonderful. And he said sometimes, he said he used to say to us as parents, this week we've been playing with English, we've been playing with maths, we've been playing with science. And the next week he'd say, this week we've been working on English, we've been working on maths, we've been working on science. And I remember hearing a parent say to him once, what's the difference? He said, there's none. He said, it just looks like we're playing when actually we're doing loads of fantastic learning. I love that. I love that. I have to keep reminding parents, children at this age when they're three, four, five, they play is their learning. It's purposeful play where they build on so much. So Mm. I love that outlook. (laughs) So was the decision to come to London a difficult one? Extremely. I'm very close to my family. So that was the hard, I still remember the flight. I didn't stop crying the whole 14 hour flight, (laughs) thinking, am I doing the right thing? Oh my goodness, how scary. Um, But I thought, you know what, it's time for a challenge and a change. So I went with it and I'm so happy I persevered. It was a very difficult decision, but now looking back at it just made me think, if I didn't do that, I'd still be in a sort of similar routine. And I mean, life needs challenges. So I'm really happy I made the decision. So when you arrived and you started your first day as a teacher in England, how much of a culture shock was it? To be honest, South Africa is very diverse. I don't know in terms of culture if it was that different, but I remember my first, first day we had an inset and it was all about read, write, ink. My country was South Africa. I had never even heard of this. We sometimes do different phonics at home, um, back home. 
So I was like, what is this even? I sat there on my chair, so nervous, not knowing anyone or anything, did the course. I was like, wow, like this is such a clever way to teach phonics. Like no wonder children read and write much sooner here than they do back home. But I just sat there thinking, this is amazing. I've never heard of this in all my four years of studying and even working back home and then coming here and learning about a whole phonic program in one day thinking this is phenomenal it made me realize how much I am going to be learning and what is ahead of me it was really really good to see so I think there was change in terms of programs and um, different apps that are used and different approaches to teaching definitely that was a big change but in terms of culture I think the classrooms here are really such a mix of different children's backgrounds and different languages that it reminded me a little bit of home because it's quite similar back home. We come from a lot of different backgrounds. In South Africa, there are 11 official languages. So it's really oh, mixed. Wow. It's a really mixed um, group of children when you're teaching there. So I quite like that it was also diverse. Obviously, here yeah, it's a bit more diverse in, within Europe, whereas back home being diverse in, within Africa. But it was still really nice to see some sort of similarity. <laughs> Yeah, there's always. I was teaching in China a couple of years ago, uh, actually training teachers. But um, as part of the course, I said I want to teach a class of Chinese children so I can model the approach we use in England with Chinese children. And uh, taught the lesson, children very excited. We did some great things. They learnt a lot. And one of the Chinese teachers said to me afterwards, in Chinese, of course, because I, I had a wonderful translator. And, and they said, uh, is, are the children very different in China? I said, they're identical. I said, they get excited when you do exciting things. They focus on their learning when it's interesting enough. They, they respond to the challenges you give them as long as they're not challenges with a threat. So I said, uh, far from being different, I'd say they're immensely similar. And, and they will yeah. always be so curious and so excited. It doesn't matter what country you're in. So how do you cope with life as a teacher then in England? In short, I would say post-it notes. There were post-it notes everywhere ah. on my desk in the beginning. There was so much to do and remember. I was panicking and writing down all the time. Don't forget to do this, this, this. And it was just like, <gasps> but being quite organized, I made sure I got everything done and I had to write things down because there'll be so much to remember. Um, so definitely post-it notes helped, but I also must say having support from teachers within the first school I was at and my head teacher was absolutely amazing. She was so supportive. That definitely played a huge role in um, my role. And also I'd I'm so grateful for technology because if I couldn't be FaceTiming family and friends all the time, asking questions and complaining or questioning so many things, I would have struggled too. So I think it was a combination of all of those. Yeah, good. Uh, and, and, and was there a time when you thought, oh, crikey, this is, things are not going so well here. This is... Uh... Definitely. <laughs> Especially in the first year, of course. And then I'd always... I'd, I always went straight away to my mentor. She was brilliant too. So I'd go there for advice on the daily. Um, I'd use my TA so much, especially in the beginning. I mean, I didn't know how dismissals went. I didn't know what was rules in the UK in general that um, like, especially all the safeguarding stuff was a big change coming from South Africa. So I would always ask my TAs. I was like, please, can you just do what you usually do? I'm going to just watch a little bit and then I'll be able to like take over. I was just so worried to do something wrong in the beginning. So I relied on them a lot. And then I 
because they obviously had been into school for longer than I had. So I thought, you know what, you do what you know usually happens at the school. I'll observe a little bit and then I'll take over when I'm confident. So it just took a few days for me to step back a tiny bit and it helped so much going forward. And that's, that's really important, isn't it? And that's really good to hear those partnerships you have because quite often young teachers say to me, my TA seems to be taking over. And I say, well, yeah, well, that's probably because you let them and therefore they think they're being helpful by taking over and, and all you need is a good relationship. So you say to them, today when we do this, can we do it like that? Because I really want us to do it like that. I said, and it's very rare you get a TA says, no, we're doing it my way. We're not doing it your because they want to do the best for the children. And it's just having the confidence to have that open communication and so that also, to each other. Exactly. And that also takes time to build that relationship. In the beginning, oh, totally. like you're getting to know each other. But as soon as you've built that, it helps so much for the children, helps so much for your workload. It helps everyone once you've got that. Yeah. So, so you've got this great bond with your teaching assistants, with the head teacher, with the other teachers. What about with the children? Did you feel you developed a great bond with them quickly? Of course, that was the. This makes me smile just thinking of the children. <laughs> I, I wish people happy. could see your face now. Giovanna has the most amazing smile. This is just how happy I get when I talk about these children. I mean, any little gift I get that has their name on or little photo, it's all around my room. I just love it. Um, I think one memory definitely stands out a lot in terms of the children. In my first year, I had a child that was quite difficult to get to know, and then it came out that she actually was a selective mute. Oh, so I was, blimey. So there I am Googling selective mute. What do I do? Obviously, you're a new teacher. You panic. You don't know how to approach the child. And I tried different ways. And I got down to a level and I pull her aside and I tried talking one on one. And it really was a struggle because she would not communicate. Even with the register, she wouldn't even say good morning. Like that's how tricky it was. So baby steps, baby steps. I was trying to pull her aside. Then I observed her when she was playing. And then one day she started talking to the one girl. And I was like, oh, this is great. We're getting progress. And it took a lot of perseverance and a lot of hard work. And then one day we were walking in a little small little group. She actually made a comment about the story. And I was like, this oh, is wow. great. I started getting so excited. And it kept getting better as the year progressed. Then we were doing small group work. And she even put her hand up to say something. And I was even like, oh, my goodness, let's give her a big whoosh, like cheering her on. I was like making a real big deal of it. And then when we got back into like full class discussions, literally the last term she was answering so many questions it made me so relieved and so happy to know that she's actually finally come out of her I mean I don't even know if you could say her shell or just this her thing well, well it, I think it represents doesn't it just how much she trusted you I've spoken about trust to a lot of people so far and uh and when they trust you amazing things happen I, I agree. And I think maybe she also felt really comfortable. I tried so mm. hard to make her feel comfortable. And um, the last day of the year when we said bye to the children, she gave me this gift. And I mean, I don't even remember what the gift was, but the card, she wrote the card herself. And she said, dear Miss Ferreira, thank you for helping me find my voice. Love. Wow. From. And I cried so much. I was like, if I've just made an impact on this girl's life, like, it was it was such an incredible feeling, and that's why we teach for those moments. Hundred percent, do. And 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 you'll make that sort of impact on many children. It won't be so obvious, will it? Because the way they express themselves is not necessarily how they actually feel. But, of but when when you create that classroom environment, 
so rich in positive relationships, then then that impacts every child and possibly forever. There was a thing on Facebook the other day and uh, and there was a little post-it note. <laughs> and, and on the post-it note, it said, what teacher do you remember? And one of my first class, the children in my first class, put, uh, I remember Mr. Crook. He's the only one I remember, so I guess that says something about him. Oh, it definitely does. Yeah, and and what a what a lovely thing that was to write. And I remember her, Lorraine. Lorraine, if you're listening, I remember her very well. And uh, and crikey, so that's forty years ago for me. You that know, really I'm old. incredible. I mean, I yeah. hope that happens when <laughs> when I well, it will, to... won't it? And and that little girl you've just described, she'll she'll remember that forever, and she'll remember you forever. So that's a wonderful, wonderful achievement. So what about a biggest, the biggest challenge? Whew, I think the biggest challenge is actually switching off from school. My first year, I remember working until half past six. The head teacher would come and say, we're closing the school, we're locking. Why are you still here? And I'd go <laughs> home, taking home more things and be like, I need to still do this and this and this. And it was just like never enough. And I'd eat dinner and then still be thinking, what's tomorrow going to hold? And it was just so hard to just realize when you walk out the school gates, change your mindset. You also have a life besides school. So and important. Just, exactly. So it's that work-life balance. So in my first year, I really struggled with it. Obviously, I learned how to manage and how to prioritize. But I do think just... Also, I'm, I really do care a lot. So if a child tells me something that's going to worry me, then I'm I'm worrying about it the whole evening. So it's you also can't help that bit, though, can you? There's yeah. there's bits you can switch off from. Shall I plan an extra bit on this lesson? No. That is but true. Should I worry about this child? Yes, I should because because my duty of care to them and my concern for them is so great. I can't just shut that sh- child off because I don't know what's happening to them. Exactly. Exactly. And being a bit of a perfectionist also really doesn't help with that. That's <laughs> it a good thing. Be a perfectionist, but also then know when to switch off. So, so you've told us some great moments already, but was there anything amazing, crazy, fun? <laughs> definitely a bit funny and a bit crazy. One story definitely jumps to mind. Um, when I started in reception, one boy that was meant to start in September actually broke his leg in the summer. So he had a late start. So I was aware of this boy, had never met him. And then after a few weeks, my head teacher brings him in, obviously rolling in a wheelchair. I was like, this is your new boy. Um, and I was like, yeah, it's so exciting. I went down to his level in the wheelchair. I was like, you're so brave to come to school. Hello, I'm Miss Ferreira. What's your name? And he had no speech. But when I mean he was just from a foreign country, hadn't learned English yet. And it kind of wasn't his home language either. It was more like a no, 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 no. And I thought, oh, my goodness, how am I going to cope with this boy that is still learning English, has a broken leg. I was like, it's going to be a tough day. But I was like, you know what? He'll stop playing. He'll be great. So I helped him out the wheelchair, introduced him to all the friends. Obviously, the children are all so excited. It's a new friend. It's amazing. It's great. And then the worst thing could have happened on his first day of school, the fire alarm goes off. No. Now, beep, 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 beep for this poor boy that doesn't know anything about the school and can't communicate anything yet so he starts like shouting in like his language at the given time 
And all the other children were like trying so hard to line up. Like they knew what to do for the fire drill. So they all line up and he's like so panicked, like looking around, what's this loud noise? I felt so sorry for him. I tried to show him, come join the line really calmly, but it's so loud. All the, most children would scream and lock their ears. And then he wasn't really listening. I thought, you know what? Also, he has a broken leg. How is this child going to walk all the way to the field? So in the spur of the moment, I was like, I'm just going to pick him up. And he wasn't a small boy. (laughs) Picked him up on my hip, all other 30 of my children behind me. Let's go. And walking really sensibly to line up for the fire drill. It was a moment I will never forget. Just the way he reacted and the other children were so overwhelmed. And I just felt for him. I was like, this is such a hard first day in school, given his broken leg, his lack of language just yet. And then that happens. It was oh, what a story he had to tell at home, though, about his first day. Exactly. The but teacher carried really- me round the field. <laughs> yep. But it's so nice. To, I mean, even I did speak about his language delays. At the end of reception, it was brilliant to see how much English he learned. So it was great. Obviously, the first day is always the hardest. And that was an extra tricky one. But I will never forget this little chap. I even have a little biscuit from him at the end of school. He gave me a little cookie saying, thank you for helping me grow. And he put his little name on. And it's like, I still think of him. <laughs> like, you know, you got that connection. <laughs> 100%. And, and and that's true for so many children, isn't it, that, that you have? So what about this? Tell us a bit about this storytelling you do. Oh, your good. sideline. Oh, goodness. Okay, so during lockdown, I was thinking, what should I do with my time? I could do something a bit more meaningful. And then actually one of my cousins, also a teacher, she teaches in Amsterdam, she started a YouTube channel with like some Play-Doh activities. And I was like, that is amazing. And my mom was like, why don't you do your stories? You always get such good feedback from people that come to observe you. And I was like, you know what? There's never been a better time than now. We're stuck at home. Let me go for it. (laughs) So my boyfriend and I painted a backdrop. I was searching the best stories to do. We really got into it. And then, yeah, we started filming. And obviously my school that I was working at heard about it and they loved it. Parents kept saying it was such a good idea because instead of them being at home and just on their tablets watching anything else, they were watching something rich in language. It was just such a good way for them to also see their teacher when they aren't really seeing their teacher. So I got such good feedback from it that I thought, you know what, let me actually really persevere with this and push through and try do it at least once a week. So now <laughs> I am struggling, <clears throat> excuse me, to find the time sometimes, but I've promised myself I will post one story a week and obviously doing it for quite a while now, it does get a little bit easier. Um, if I make mistakes while I'm reading the story, the children know I'm human and I make mistakes and I always say, oh, whoopsie, and I just reread the sentence. Um, so it is quite natural and the children see me when I'm really happy reading stories, have a little cute little elephant toy that they really enjoy seeing on the screen too. So I think they've reacted so nicely to it. And um, parents quite often comment on the video saying, my child loved this, like, please do more. So it just gives me that extra boost to realise that actually it's worth all the effort and the time that I spend doing it. Yeah, definitely. It's funny, isn't it, through screens? You often don't get much feedback and and... And you think, is this really worth doing? Yeah, because but, you're just uh, talking and, to us. And then you get a bit of feedback like that and you think, yeah, it's definitely worth doing. Exactly. And some children, because I usually say that I post on Wednesdays, and there was one Wednesday when I was quite stressed out at work and I really didn't have the time. So I thought, you know what, it's one week, hopefully no one notices. I got messages. The one mom was even like, we really missed you on Wednesday night. Oh, Are you really? okay, Sarera? And I was like, this is so nice that people actually do wait for my stories. <laughs> so obviously it's it's something new and the numbers are quite small, but hopefully when more and more children hear about it, it would be really nice to Absolutely. keep that growing. Absolutely. 
I've seen them and uh, and they're great. Yeah, so thank you. If you want something great, folks, get on to Giovanna's YouTube channel. Yeah, so it's called a live story time. Right. We'll post it when we uh, when we promote this uh, this podcast. I definitely will. Thank you. So we're getting we're running out of time. So I've got to ask you the big question. Um, what's the one thing you wish you knew as an NQT more than anything else? I can't even tell you how much I thought about this question. Uh, I think I'm going to go with even the most experienced teachers teach lessons that aren't amazing or maybe was a little bit of a mess up or didn't go as planned. And I think my first year, I always used to think, oh, everyone's doing this so well. Like no one's making mistakes. Their lessons are always outstanding. They've been teaching for years, but I think it's good to remember that even teachers that have been teaching for 5, 10, 15 years also have lessons that are years. You see, and I think it's so nice to remind yourself that because sometimes in the moment in your first year, you just think, oh, I could never be like that. Or they're always so perfect. And it's good to know that they're not. They're also human. And sometimes planning your lesson doesn't go as planned. You need to change it in the spur of the moment. And it's good to just know that, I think, as an NQT, because I would have loved to have been told that directly. Um, So that's a great message for any NQTs listening now, isn't it? Exactly. And there are going to be the badder days or the better days, but at the end of the day, you're still making a difference. And it's just good to remember that. You sure are. And you definitely are, Giovanna. So thank you so much for that. It's so worth sharing it. If someone else can learn a little something from my experience, that is really good to share. So I'm, I'm sure your words will be helpful to so many teachers starting out in their careers. Something you said reminded me of something that Socrates once said, and he said, employ your time in improving yourself by other men's writings so that you shall come easily by what others have laboured hard for. And uh, and that's just what you've described to us there. I love Work that. Work hard, it's tough, but you can learn from others and and assimilate it into your own work. And you don't have to go through quite so much pain because you can learn stuff that others have struggled to achieve. Exactly. That's so good. And it all pays off in the end. It's going to be tough. There's going to be moments where you're thinking, why am I doing this? But then when you have those amazing moments, it's just, it all pays off. It's all so worth it. Yeah, totally. Giovanna, thank you so much. I know that anyone who listens to what you've told us today will have so many things to work on and add into their teaching. But remember, folks, it's the one small thing, isn't it, that you'll do tomorrow that will make a difference to your teaching and a difference to the success of your pupils. It certainly isn't about trying to do too many things at once. One small step at a time is the way to continual improvement. So thank you, Giovanna. No, thank you so much. It's been wonderful chatting. So really, thanks for choosing to speak to me. I'm so honoured. Well, I'm sure everyone listening can see why, because it's been fascinating. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please leave a review and share it with your friends. I'm always very keen to know what you'd like us to discuss in future podcasts, so please get in touch. And we'll keep you updated on what's to come and more on Twitter at WhatNQT. I look forward to being with you next time for another thought-provoking educational chat. Until then, I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT.